Hi everyone and welcome to the Perma Podcast. I am James Prescott, your host. Welcome to the show. Um, now I've got, a, I've got a new guest with us today, um, but before we get into that, I just want to say a quick word um, about the uh, the new Facebook community that I've started for this for this podcast. Um, it's kind of this sacred space where people who are listening to the show all gather and talk about what we're learning from the show, the subjects that come up on the show. And just supporting each other and encouraging each other, um, being there for each other, and sometimes having a bit of fun as well. Um, it's just started, um, it's still growing. I'd love you to be part of that if you listen to the podcast regularly. Um, so uh, if that's if that's interesting to you, um, please just go to Facebook and find um, Poma Podcast, Continuing the Conversation, that's the name of the group. And the link is facebook.com slash groups slash permapodcast. Um, and yeah, join us in the community and talk about, you can talk about this episode, you can talk about any other episode uh, and just get to know a few other people who listen to the show. And I'm really excited about this little thing and this little group that's growing and I'd love for you to be part of it. So um, yeah, that's exciting. That's new for this year. So, um, and now into my guest, uh, my new guest, um, Mia Lee Renner. Welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Um, yeah, it's really great to have you on. Um, Mia is a is a is a is a, a blogger, uh, a writer, um, and this is kind of linked to our series on grief. This episode, we're gonna Mia's gonna tell her story, and we're gonna we're gonna explore that a lot. And it's it's a very powerful story. So um, yeah, kind of yeah, just tell us your story, Mia. Alright, um, so I am currently reflecting on my history while I'm writing a memoir about healing from sexual assault and just kind of the aftermath of what happened. So I was sexually assaulted when I was 19. Um, I was raped in my own apartment um, by mm. someone who was a friend of a friend. And I don't like the term necessarily ignorant, but I definitely wasn't knowledgeable on really what was happening to me and I was afraid to come forward and tell people mm. or use medical resources and I don't know if necessarily that was only because of societal um, reasonings or because I was also in the National Guard and I was relying on that for my funding for school and if I had a medical deemed reason to be dropped mm. from the National Guard I would no longer be able to continue my schooling. So I carried on and for a long time I was you know me wouldn't know I was a functional adult um you, I guess the best way you can phrase that and throughout the years definitely things have gone downward um you hear the phrase that mental health when you don't take care of it it charges tax later um there's definitely interest too when you don't deal mm. with things up front so I have had physical ailments come up due to the trauma. I have had um, issues with workplace just because, or personal relationships as well due to um, anger, frustration issues, and unable to really control my emotions um, when I finally decided to get um, some mental health help. I had some roadblocks there as well, but thankfully I did equip myself with some knowledge on Google, and I was aware of which doctors were good and not good to um, go to in regards to what's happened to me. So really, um, this book that I'm writing, I am just explaining kind of what happened to me. I'm not a hero. I'm not, you know, necessarily a good person. Some of the things I've done in the aftermath of it, you know, aren't positive, just, you know, especially with my emotional issues that I gained. 
And I think uh, one thing that is very important, I guess, in regards to this podcast when we're talking about grief in regards to trauma is that after being sexually assaulted and you go to, you know, behavioral health and they tell you to make sure that you know that, you know, it's not your fault, that so you don't have any mm. guilt. And whereas um, I recognize that for a lot of victims, that is, you know, a major part. But for me, I knew it wasn't my fault. And I still know it's not my fault, but I'm still angry and I'm still upset just because there's a lot of would have, could have, should have, you know, that came from that situation. And yeah. so not necessarily yeah. that it never happened, but the trajectory of my life afterwards, what, where would I be now if that didn't happen to me? Yeah, exactly, so yeah, yeah. Yeah, and if it would be better or for worse. So it's difficult, you know, just trying to wrap my head around that and just being accepting of where I am because you can't change the past. Um, yeah, and that's an awful thing that happened to you. I mean, it, it really is. Um, and to talk about it publicly, I mean, in a book and on your website um, and here is a really courageous thing to do, you know, because it's a it's a it's a horrible. Well, I don't know what it's like, but yeah, it must be an awful experience to be sexually abused, especially at nine, even worse at nineteen as well. Um, I can't even imagine what that's like. Um, so. Yeah, I mean, what was the what was the kind of what were the initial what was your kind of initial reaction to it? How did you process the trauma that you went through? So initially, what happened is I kind of um, I had a delay in my memory. I woke up the next morning with a strange person in my bed, and I didn't really know what mm. happened. And it took a few hours to kind of just process a little bit of snippet of memory mm. and. Um, when I originally did realize, you know, what happened, I went to um, who I considered my best friend at the time, who knew him, um, and tried to tell her what happened. And when I got the response of, he does that, um, obviously, you know, in hindsight, you know, big red flag, um, you know, what do you mean he does that? Um, but really, in my mind at the moment, it just made me feel as though, oh, I'm overreacting, like, this is just something that maybe happens, and at the time, I was also needed to drinking alcohol, um, and I was drunk at the time, um, so, mm. again, like, I, I was not educated at the time of what was and what's not okay, so having that reaction from someone definitely made me, um, not want to tell anybody else or... Yeah, that's and, common as well, isn't it, when people, um, are, are right is that like, there's, there's a lot of shame around it and people don't want to tell people especially when again when you're young um when you're scared i mean yeah mm -hmm. and it's natural it's a natural thing to to kind of want to escape from it and alcohol and stuff that's like a really common response as well you know to just try and just not think about it anymore and just like pretend almost like not pretend it didn't happen but just forget it happened you know in a way because it kind of it's one of those, it's like, I've talked, I've talked about this before, where we kind of, when we go through a trauma, we want to hide into certainty somewhere. Like, some people use religious certainty, like, some people use, um, like, addiction to, like, with drugs or with alcohol or whatever. People find ways to, to kind of numb the pain or control it or mm -hmm. hide from it. Um, and it's a normal reaction. It's not like, there's nothing, 
evil about that. It's an it's kind of an instinctive human reaction. Um, yeah. Right. There's a lot of control issues that extend from post traumatic stress, um, especially yeah. in regards to you know lack of control and wanting control. So when people are you know going into more alcohol consumption or added drug um, use, they want to kind of forget. Um, the things that they've experienced and um, try to shift their control away from themselves just if they do have self-doubt. And on the other hand, there's a lot of issues with people trying to gain control over situations. So um, a lot of eating disorders come up um, because that's something that people feel as though they can control of Mm -hmm. themselves um, as well as just actual sexual activity. There's There's a high correlated trend that after a sexual assault experience or someone who's experienced childhood sexual assault, they're much more promiscuous mm. later in life just because it's something that they feel like they have control over their sexual life and that this won't happen again and they're making these active decisions. Also, just to desensitize themselves to sex itself, you know, there's obviously a lot of people out there that don't have an emotional connection when in regards to engaging in sexual activity, which is completely fine. Um, but for some people that do have that emotional connection when engaging and they feel as though it is stronger um, activity than just sex itself, um, when you are sexually assaulted, it it kind of warps your your experience of what, how you think about sex. And um, obviously, this mm. is not sex. But uh, when you're approaching sex again as a rape survivor, it's it's difficult to want to attach that emotional connection to the activity because you're relating it to your past experience. Yeah, I know. I, I, I just, again, I can't even imagine what that must be like to, to try and have sex after you've been raped. Because obviously sex is different from rape. Let's be clear. Rape is when there's no consent. Um, right. <laughs> um, but obviously there's there's going to be... It could, trigger, it could easily trigger flashbacks. Correct. And there's a lot of um, there's a lot of speaking about there's um, some really high um, high profile people who have been very sex positive even though they've had experiences in assault. Um, off the top of my head, I can think of Pamela Anderson, who was highly you know sexualized as an individual, but she did experience um, previous sexual assault during her upbringing, and she was a big advocate for you know. She's not going to act a certain way that you're predicting an assault victim to act like. Um, I did read um, Alice Siebel's book, Lucky. Um, she was a sexual assault victim at University of Syracuse. And multiple times in her book, she mentions how she was the quote-unquote perfect rape victim. She was a virgin. She wasn't dating anybody. She wasn't intoxicated. It was a violent act. And there's all of these things that go into... Mm. Um, what a sexual assault person should be and how they should react after. That just isn't logical and nonsensical. Um, But people still do project that those feelings of what someone's supposed to react like after the fact and before the fact as well. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, I mean, so what did you... Obviously, you had those unhealthy reactions to start with, those unhealthy kind of responses... How did you start to process the trauma that you've been through in a kind of more healthy way and get all that and start to con- start to deal with deal with what you with what you'd experienced? Um, I think it's 
Yeah, um, so there's a lot of different, um, I guess, results of having post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, something that I have issues with, though, are flashbacks and um, nightmares. And mm. for me, it's kind of grounding myself in the moment. I also have PTSD that coincides with some anxiety, so I do a lot of, um, I guess, doomsday thinking where every like a little activity might you know snowball into a big consequence and. Um, I just have to ground myself uh, using there were some techniques that I've received from multiple therapists um, called the Jihada Tapping Technique, where I remind myself where I am and grounded, um, mm, and yeah. I just kind of get being stuck in the moment. Um, it's just also, it's difficult, but um, when you think of self-care, I think now a lot of people will look online and they'll see, you know, oh, self-care is, you know, making sure that I have not you know, a dessert when I need one, like if I just need a break for the day or, you know, I need to do this. But for me, um, it was making sure I exercised, making sure I didn't just spend an entire day in bed, even though I wanted to, um, and forcing myself to do kind of things in my mind I did not want to do, um, just because I knew it would be better for me. Um, so breaking the cycle of my thoughts by distracting myself with different activities, um, has helped me along with, you know, continually going to therapy and just like talking through what's going on. Um, mm. I personally couldn't get over what happened to me by myself. I needed to go to therapy. Um, too bad. I didn't realize that until much later than I should have. Mm. Um, but there's people out there that haven't gone to therapy and are okay, but, um, I am a hundred percent advocate for everyone going to therapy. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm absolutely with you. Yeah. Yeah. I love going even when I'm having like an okay week and nothing's really gone on and I just need to vent about something, you know, someone cut me off in traffic and I want to talk about it. <laughs> um, yeah. And just like that. So it's good. Um, but then, you know, you have such a routine there that when you do have a really bad week and like if for me, for example, if I have a really bad flashback and I have a day where I'm struggling, it's good to have that appointment already set up and I'm already, you know, having a plan to go there and to discuss it and to try to work on tactics um, to get myself out of that mindset. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It's really good to have those structures and those, I guess, those networks in place, you know, to mm -hmm. um, to support yourself. Like, I know for me, I have, I have a spiritual director who's like a, who's also a qualified therapist as well. So it's like going to therapy with her in a way, um, spiritual therapy. Um, but I also have like a life coach, and I have I have a support, I have a network of close friends who I talk to, mm -hmm. and and I have all these like like practices and um, kind of mindset kind of mechanisms kind of things. Things suppose I've trained myself to respond to these things, like which are all there. Um, and all and all make a difference, you know. I mean, do you have any kind of practices, like daily practices, that you use to to help kind of center you, I guess, and to help get you through? So um, again, with the tapping, that there's some mantras. I mean, it depends on what I'm thinking of at the moment, um, and I'll just like say them consistently over and over again. Um, deep, deep breathing while I'm doing them as well mm. to try to center myself. Uh, sometimes, honestly, just distracting myself is the best thing I can do, which um, yeah. if, the, if the mantras aren't working, which is, you know, turn on the TV, go on my phone, like any stimulus that I can turn on, turn on music, anything to just kind of like drown out my thoughts for just a moment. 
um, because like I was saying earlier that it tends to be spiral downwards. So if I can kind of stop that ball rolling at one point um, with all these distractions, it'll be easier to kind of handle. Um, yeah. At least from my experience, obviously everyone else has different ways of dealing with things. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you're right. Um, and it, yeah, that's a really good point. I think that you make about that the, the music and just trying to escape for a little for a little bit because I think one thing I've discovered recording this series is um, that it's okay to kind of get out of your head and escape for a little bit. You know, if you want to go and watch a bit of Netflix or you want to just go on your phone for a little bit, that's okay because it gets you out of your head a bit. It gets you away from that dark place. It's when you it's when you use it too much or when right. you use it to escape from dealing with the pain like mm-hmm. that it becomes a problem, like when it becomes more of an addiction rather than just a kind of a little escape to get out of your head. You know, do you understand what I mean? Definitely understand what you mean, yeah. Because, uh, again, like I was saying earlier, that I, you know, if I spend an entire day just in bed, um, regardless of if I'm watching TV, reading a book, if I'm only just staying stagnant for me personally, I feel sluggish and I feel worse about myself at the end of the day whereas if I you know get up and I at least you know walk my dog a little bit get a little bit of fresh air um or even just get up and talk to somebody um Mm, I feel significantly better and so that's what you know when I was saying self-care earlier you know for me that's what self-care is and um not just giving into you know my thoughts of just wanting to lay down and not do anything for days on it And how has writing and blogging and telling your story helped with this process of healing? Um, so I will say writing and blogging, uh, specifically blogging, I to, when I finally started to try to um, figure out what I was going through and before I was going to therapy, just trying to deal with everything going around me, I found a big comfort in educating myself by just researching and figuring out that I'm not alone in the things I'm doing and what other, you know, other actions work for other people and how many other people are out there that dealt with the same things I'm dealing with, um, which is somewhat comforting and somewhat um, kind of disappointing. Just, you know, like for me personally, like I feel like I just experienced this terrible traumatic thing. And then to think that, you know, over 10% of the entire United States population has also experienced something similar. It's, mm. You know, it's like, well, I'm nothing special. This should just be, you know, I, you know, carry on, you know, um, which isn't, you know, obviously that's bad thinking. But when it comes to writing, uh, there's certain aspects of what I'm writing that is difficult to me um, to write in the first person present tense because, of course, when I'm doing something bad, all I want to do is write, like, I'm so sorry, I was so crazy. Um, <laughs> I just delete, you know, a lot of content. Um, but I definitely have to plan, you know, an activity to do right after I write um, some more traumatic scenes just because I can't just dwell on my thoughts. I need to write it down and I need to walk away, distract myself doing something else and before I'm coming back to it. Hmm. Yeah, that's, yeah. And I, I've always thought creativity is a really great way to, to get, to process stuff that's inside of us because it taps into things that are in our subconscious that, maybe we didn't know we're there and that allows us to get them out and so i mean mm-hmm. well it sounds like that's what, what what's, what's been happening as well like and um 
it's really great that you're telling your story. It's not an easy thing to write your story, especially especially to write a book about it when you've been through what you've been through. It's a courageous thing to do that. So, uh, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, Thank you. No, no, absolutely. Really... Huh? No, go go ahead. Sorry. Oh no, you're fine. I was just gonna say thank you. Because um, again, I like to research as I have a lot of other books by other writers who have experienced this. Um, recently, Chanel Miller came out with her book, um, and that has been really difficult to read as well. Because that's another person who um, she was the one who was sexually assaulted by Brock Turner. She finally came forward with her name and wrote her story, and that was something that all the media was watching and everyone knew how guilty this person was but she was still dealing with people who were trying to blame her and her life was you know uplifted she wasn't able to work the same way she was kind of you know in hiding she had you know financial issues due to it um and again like all these things that she kind of had not in her control at all um so it was great reading her story and other stories like that um so I personally, as someone who's experienced it, have another, you know, person to think about, you know, try to, you know, follow kind of stuff that they're doing. Yeah. So hoping that my book can maybe help some people as well. Um, yeah, I think so. I think I, th- I think just reading people's stories or hearing them, just listening to this podcast, maybe, is you know that. It it makes it really makes you realise you're not alone. When you hear somebody else has gone through the exact same thing as you, or something very similar, then suddenly you realise, well, actually, it's not just me. I'm not the only one that feels this. I'm not the only one that that goes through this stuff every day. That's there's somebody else out there who's who's felt exactly the same way. Um, and maybe if it's somebody who's a bit further ahead on their journey as well, it's like, well, yeah, they've got through it. Yeah, they're they're surviving. Um, maybe I can as well. You know, it's just that little bit of solidarity and maybe hope as well I think so yeah yeah. Um, the other thing I wanted to ask you um, I've got loads of things to ask you (laughs) but there's one thing particularly like because you were in the military before your uh, before um, you were raped is that right was it before or was it after or uh, it was during so uh, I have a complicated journey in the military not like well Comparatively to other people's experiences, so I enlisted in the military when I was 18, um, but as a National Guardsman, and I was in the National Guard, which is part-time, only two weeks, uh, one week in the month, um, and two weeks in the summer. I was a part of the military, essentially, um, and during that time, I was also involved in school and in ROTC to that, and that was when I was sexually assaulted. Um, so I commissioned active duty military after I graduated in 2014, and I was active duty until this past summer, July 2019. Right, and how did what you went through impact what happened during your military military service then? So, again, I <laughs> when I look back at myself now, like knowledgeable of how I acted, um, there's certain. Um, irritability issues that I've experienced that, you know, could, well, I think were due to the PTSD that I wasn't dealing with properly, um, which obviously affected my, my work. And I was always seemed like very functional. Like even when I first went to therapy, they said, oh, wow, you're probably the most functional person we've seen, you know, come in for this. And it's, you know, what do you mm. mean? Like <laughs> it's 10% of the population is dealing with this and there's a lot of functional people out there. 
Um, but one thing that I think took me by surprise and I researched later and found out was when you have an experience, a traumatic experience that could trigger PTSD, it can lead um, other fears that you have in your life heightened. Um, so your experiences to those things could be much more traumatic to you to deal with than they were prior. So for me, um, for whatever reason, I've always hated jumping into water. Um, I'm a very good swimmer. I'm not afraid of heights, but when you combine the two, I am not good. Um, so I did have one panic attack in the workplace when I had to jump into water, and that was very shocking to me because I've always been able to keep myself under control, and I've never had a panic attack where anyone noticed in public. Um, so that was very discouraging to me, and it made me really question my ability to kind of handle myself and to just, you know, keep functioning um, without going to therapy. And that, when upon reflection and looking things up online, that was what kind of drove me to start seeing a mental health specialist because I knew that this was getting worse and I wasn't able to control it just by myself. Mm. Yeah, because I can imagine in the military, it must be like when you've been through a trauma, the whole kind of structure of it and the way, you know, the way that you're expected to, to act and be in control and, you know, have it all together all the time. When you've got, when you're carrying that around with you, it must be, must, it must be, it must be very difficult. Yeah, I, I wonder if, you know, as much of the military per se, just in, whereas the general workplace environment, I know, um, obviously when people think of military, they think of, you know, boot camp where everyone's screaming and, you know, telling people to do, <laughs> yeah. you know. Um, but there is a, a stigma that exists in the military and outside of there about women being abrasive rather than assertive mm. um, as their male peers are. Oh, yeah. And obviously the military does kind of have a greater group of people that are very direct and very straightforward when they come to their commands and doing things out you know, comparatively to the outside world. So with myself, you know, there's times where I can reflect on a situation and be like, yeah, I think I, you know, took things a little too far, a little too angry, you know, that was probably my irritability come out. Um, but honestly, sometimes, you know, I was doing my job and I felt like I just needed normal, but under, you know, the guise of my gender, I feel like I was deemed abrasive regardless. And I've had peers that had much worse tempers than I had um, who, you know, maybe were experiencing things as me, I don't know, but um, they weren't getting called the same things I were or, mm. you know, being, you know, receptive in the same manner. It, you know, so that, you know, I guess not really answering your question too well. Um, <laughs> that's one thing I guess that I can really, you know, back in the military standpoint. And uh, I actually read another book recently by Ryan Dotsky called Formation, and the writing style was okay, but the actual story itself was she was sexually assaulted when she first joined the military, which is a very high statistic. It's the majority of people who are sexually assaulted, I think it's about one in four women, their first 90 days at a unit will be sexually assaulted. Oh, um, and she happened to be one of those people. Um, and then very, um, very soon afterwards, she went on a deployment to Iraq um, with some of the other people that she met with. So she has issues with, um, post-traumatic stress disorder after mm -hmm. the deployment, but she doesn't know where to pinpoint it. She doesn't know if 
you know, her, her rape prior to the deployment led to her being, you know, overstimulated and not really able to handle some of the things that she's seen on the deployment mm-hmm. or it's really the deployment that, you know, she's witnessed some things in that, you know, is just kind of making her, you know, react the way she's yeah. reacting. And yeah. So the blurry lines there of what kind of came first and what's affecting what um, was very interesting to read in her, in her story. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Like, yeah, and there's that, and just that that statistic that 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 genuinely shocked me. That you know, one in four women. That's just wow. Um, yeah, that's awful. And I know um, the military itself is having a huge issue with sexual assault. Um, her story, I think, if I'm remembering off the top of my head, it was earlier 2000s. She was one of the first units that went to Iraq. Um, in 2007 was when the military really took a huge stance on trying to um, stop sexual assault, and they were better at collecting the data. Mm-hmm. And you're able to now look up sexual assault cases just by rank and by gender. And it's very shocking um, the, the high ranks of the perpetrators that are being accused. And when comparing the charges, the, the actual punishment, the differences that, you know, the lower-ranking perpetrators are getting, you know, thrown out as they should be, getting dishonorable discharges, whereas, you know, higher-ranking people might lose the rank, um, but they're still in. They're still in these supervisory roles. They're still continuing their careers. So that's something that definitely needs to be addressed in how uh, the military conducts their uh, their uh, um yeah. Their punishment and dealing with sexual assault perpetrators. Absolutely, yeah, that's a that's a that's a serious issue. Yeah, I completely yeah. agree. Let's hope it. Let's hope things change. Um, yeah. Um. So I wanted to kind of move into talking about like when you go through a big trauma. Obviously, there's a grieving of the life you could have had, mm-hmm. and the, like you like whatever trauma you you go through, whether it's actually losing somebody or whether it's uh, rape like you went through or any kind of abuse or any kind of trauma then part of you then your life changes you change there's that you can't go back to what it was like before so in a sense there's a like a grief of a grieving of the life that you could have had and the life that you had before and what could have been and that's a really and i think that's an overlooked um area of grief that you know something we don't we don't talk about enough, I think, and I think that's. I think it can be a legitimate wound. I mean, it's certainly been one for me, um, with my own kind of trauma that I went through, um, that I only discovered recently, and it's like 20, 30 years ago <laughs> that it happened. So, I mean, so has been has that, has that been your experience as well? Has there only been kind of a grieving and a, a kind of any kind of wound relating to you know what could have been or what what was before and what you lost. Definitely. I think about that often, um, and it's not really a productive thought, but I, I do wonder, you know, what things could have been like, especially I am now 27. I just turned 27 a couple months ago, and I'm starting to see um, a majority of people that I've grown up with or I've worked with, they're all engaged or married, and I have had very difficult issues um, being able to maintain a relationship after being raped and also I got myself into I didn't get myself into this in the bad way of raising it but um, I was in a abusive relationship for a long time and I didn't really have the confidence to get out of it and I don't I think it was related to me dealing with um, the rape as well and um, 
It might not have been Tuesdays sexually assault me. Oh, but it, so it's hard because it's like, well, I wasted all this time with this person. You know, thank goodness I realized it, but where could have I been outside of that? And am I able to really find, you know, someone to settle down with eventually? Or am I still, you know, mentally unable to really connect? So I guess in that aspect um, of my life, I definitely think about, you know, that it could have, would have, should have a lot. And then everywhere else, I, I really don't know. You know, would I be in grad school right now? Would I have been in the military as long as I would have? Mm. I, I have no idea. Um, and it's, it's strange to think about, but, you know, at the end of the day, I really can't change what did happen, and this is where I am. So just trying to move forward as best as I can. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and and yeah, and it's interesting you you mentioned the the abusive relationship because it's it's often it's, it's really common for when we when we go through a trauma that we want to go back to the painful place because it's almost familiar. Mm-hmm. Like I know that for me, sometimes I can get myself into a a bad mood or get myself down because it's almost easier to feel down and depressed than it is to be happy because I'm because you know I grew up with a trauma and so that can be a, almost like a safe space because at least I at least I know what's going on there you know at least I, I kind of have some kind of control in some kind of perverse way you know but actually it's not it's not really healthy at all you know but but it's it's a, I think it's a normal reaction again like it's easy to get tempted to go back to those places um yeah so yeah I totally understand that. Um, yeah, and you're right. Yeah, you can't change what's happened. Yeah, and I think I do think there's like a healthy kind of grieving of like saying goodbye to that and just saying, yeah, that's what could have been. That's what that's what I wish had been, and and it and it didn't mm-hmm. happen, and it's not going to happen, and I just have to let that go. You know, there is a kind of healthy grieving of that. I think. Definitely, and I think one phrase that um, I definitely don't like that I hear kind of often when it comes to rape victims is that, oh, their life is now over, Um, things of that nature. Because even though maybe your life is different after a sexual assault, it's not over. You know, you still have a whole life to lead, and, you know, some great things can still happen. You know, maybe there's days where you're really down, you don't really see those positive things, but... You know, there's there's milestones that I've reached that I didn't know I was going to be able to reach, and I'm really proud of myself. Um, and even though I reflect back, you know, sometimes being like, oh well, I was raped and this is bad, I kind of have to snap out of that mentality, being like, well, look at this, you've accomplished this skill, you know, regardless, and you've done this regardless. Um, so that's one thing that I, I guess I dislike about you know that terminology of just saying that you know someone's life is now over because of this. Um, yeah, I love that. I love that phrase. It's, your life is not over because of what happened, you know. Yeah. Um, you can still have a fulfilling, joyful life and with purpose, you know. And that's what you're doing. I mean, <laughs> you know, you're creating this new life where you're, where you're blogging and you're writing a book and, you know, you're helping other people who are going through what you're going through. And that's, that's a really amazing thing. Thank you so much. Kind. <laughs> well, no, I mean, I'm always inspired by people who who can do that, who can use their pain to help other people. 
um, and turn it into something really great. Um, and because I, I, I mean, I know it's well because I've been through trauma and and grief and everything. I know how difficult it is to come through with that. So, so yeah. Um, I mean, what is it now that that kind of gives you hope? What is it that yeah that kind of makes you hopeful for the for the future? Honestly, um, not necessarily just to say the Me Too movement, because it's been many people even before that, but just historically how we've been developing kind of dealing with sexual assault and sexual harassment in the workplace and things like that, that, you know, despite things not being great right now, they're better than they were before. So just looking forward to that trajectory of continued improvement and wanting to continue to improve and help, I guess, the society move forward. And when I read other people's stories and I see some of the things that came out of them, um, and despite, there's like Chanel Miller, for example, I was talking about earlier, um, you know, Bob Turner only received six months, which, you know, uh, not enough. So mm. getting that recognition of that wasn't enough, having that publicity to um, come forward and everyone, you know, say, wow, that, that wasn't enough. Um, but there's, of course, there's people that don't say that, but, um, but there's more spotlight being shown on it, and there's more people who are learning and understanding on the situation, so I think it's going to be more tackled in the future, and hopefully um, also seeing a trend in a decreased amount of sexual assaults that happen, um, not just in the United States, but worldwide. Yeah, and let's 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 really hope for that. I think that's really, really important that, you know, that, that, that changes, and, and obviously that that thing that's that that what's happening in the army that that changes um because it's really important that yeah but that we talk about these kind of things more and that, that that there's more awareness about them so that people can start taking action to change things um for sure so i also what i wanted to finish with really is having been through what you've been through and done all that work you've done and therapy and um and coming to terms with what you experienced, what would be like your word of solidarity or hope to people who are who are going through some kind of traumatic experience or just coming out of it and and just trying to come to terms with it? Um, I would like to remind everyone that it's not their fault, um, regardless of what maybe friends or family tell you. Um, just remember that it's not your fault, and that there's so many people in the world that have experienced what you've experienced and to try and rely on some of those people for your strength um, to move forward. Also, um, therapy. Please go to therapy. Um, I couldn't recommend it enough, even if, uh, you know, financially, if it's, um, you know, areas that have sliding scale offerings. Um, and then hopefully you have some friends and family that can help you maybe research some of those sliding scale options for you because, is very helpful and again if you don't you know take control and you don't um deal with some of those mental health issues immediately they are just going to get worse over time and you deserve to take care of yourself and to be um happy yeah that's beautiful that's really encouraging (laughs) (laughs) it's been so great having you on uh mia it really has and to like thank you again for for sharing your story so courageously it's, it's you know it's really it's really great to hear stories um because again like we say talk about solidarity and you know just hearing a story can be can be a lifeline for somebody so thank you for for sharing thank you 
Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Um, can't wait to listen to this uh, when it's posted. <laughs> yeah, and where can people find your work and find you online? So um, my website is neoevena.com, and that's M-I-A-L-E-I-G-H-R-E-N-N-A. And that is also my handle on Facebook, on Twitter, and on Instagram. So all those options for you. Awesome. Awesome. And do check out her uh, Mia's website. It's really great. Her writing's really, really amazing. And, um, yeah, a lot of great, great, great material on there. And lots of um, great resources as well, I think, as well, uh, around the subject. So, yeah, thanks for coming on the show, Mia. And uh, thanks for listening, everybody. I hope this was really um, encouraging for you. Um, and um, have a great week. <laughs>